0: Warning, the following podcast contains violent scenes that may be unsettling to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, and welcome to the Brian Diaries, where my pals and I get together and talk about subjects dealing with our favorite tabletop role-playing setting, The World of Darkness. While we may not be subject matter experts on the game lines, we have a passion that has led us to create and share actual plays with you all. Eventually we thought, well shit, we might as well take a stab at a podcast, and here you go. Each episode, we'll have a guest content creator to join us to talk about whatever subject is on the table. If you'd like to contact us, you can reach out to us on Twitter at twin underscore cities underscore VTM or on Facebook at Twin Cities by Night. So here we go. I hope you enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Brian Diaries I'm currently infused with cold brew coffee and Black Sabbath going through my veins. Before I introduce the guests that we're going to have today, I want to kind of tell a little story about how I came across this gentleman. He's probably sitting here like, well, you didn't warn me that you're going to be telling this, but I just wanted to like pitch this little story and also like a little history about myself. So uh, for the most part, I would consider myself relatively like a noob when it comes to tabletop. Uh, role-playing games i had i got you know when i was like a high schooler kid moving around a lot because my dad was in the military i had bought or i had got my hands on the advanced dungeons and dragons uh second edition handbook and i remember reading through it but could never find people to play and i always thought it was a cool concept and fast forward uh, years later i was like around 21 22 and i was in the military at the time and i was talking to this gentleman kind of doing a job at the point where you kind of spend a lot of time with someone so you get to know these strangers you get to know, like, the complete history and all their hobbies by the time you're done. And this gentleman was telling me about um, this game, Vampire the Ma- uh, Vampire Dark Ages. And he brought it up because I had mentioned I was an Anne Rice fan. So I ended up getting into Vampire the Masquerade for a couple years due to that. Ran a game. And then I just kind of, like, got burnt out on it. I had a bunch of books stolen. And I gave up on the game for, like, 15 years. And fast forward 15 years later. This was a couple years ago. And I got back into it. For those of you who don't know one of my other hobbies is Brazilian jiu-jitsu getting ready for tournaments like that. You you have to kind of like slowly incrementally lose weight and I'm not kind of a hefty guy. So for me to lose the weight that I need to lose, it's like measure uh, Quarter of a cup of almonds, and you can have that in three hours. And it's really like this miserable process at times. So, what I do a lot of times when I'm grumpy and I just don't want to bite people's heads off or ravage someone when I see them with a Snickers bar, I kind of try to get into things like fall down rabbit holes on the internet, like Wikipedia, look something up, and just kind of lose a couple hours at work. And I end up one day just got a wild hair at my ass and thought of vampire the masquerade i mean i literally had not thought of this game for 15 fucking years i didn't even know that was still going with onyx path any of that shit so i go online and i start looking and i come across reddit facebook groups i'm reading and reading and at this point i was living in california and had about an hour commute to work and which is perfect time to listen to podcasts so i'm like going my podcast player and i'm looking for like vampire the masquerade world the darkness white wolf shit and i come across um this podcast full metal rpg and also a sister podcast shadow sworn radio hour and i was just consuming all this i mean just that's how i get when i get into something i'm like listening to like all these podcasts reading all these books ordering books off of ebay and i'm just acting like a total crackhead and my wife is wondering what are these weird stack of books i'm getting in the mail uh, out of the blue so I ended up getting a promotion to move to the Phoenix area. And, you know, and I had listened to Full Metal RPG for about a year at this point. And I kind of always kind of heard, you know, them talk about Phoenix. But I kind of just, you know, I wasn't from Phoenix. And I really didn't put any meaning behind it until one day. I'm like, oh, wow, these guys live in the same fucking town that I'm moving to. So, like, I'm sitting there and I'm wondering, like, is it going to be weird if I hit him up on his Instagram, the host, Brendan, and be like, hey, I'm moving to Phoenix. And I'm like, is that come across weird? I don't know how this role playing tabletop role playing scene is, you know. So I send this message to this gentleman and I'm like, hey, you know, I'm moving to Phoenix. And this guy was just out of the right right away was polite, nice and just like, oh hey, awesome. You should hit me up on my phone number right here. You could text me here. It's an easier way to get in contact with me. And he's he lives on the east end. I lived on the west end. And he's all telling me about these different shops I should visit. And he's doing this research. And I was just blown away by how nice this dude was. So I heard in his podcast that he was talking about running a Montreal by Night game. For those of you who don't know, it's a Sabat game. Pretty dark book. And I, I dig it a lot. And I'm like, oh man. And I and I hear this guy in his show. And it's just like the way he talks about the world of darkness, it just clicks with me because that's kind of a similar view I have. So I'm sitting there and I kind of send these obscure messages like, Hey, if you ever run that game, if you're looking for a player, let me know. And he's polite, he's like, Yeah, yeah, cool. And I'm thinking maybe he's like, Yeah, yeah, I'd probably get asked this by a lot of people or whatever. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue. I get this text message saying, yo, dog, my apartment, this address, Saturday, character creation session. And I remember I'm like, oh, yeah, is this for the, the Sabat games. You know, we're doing Giovanni Chronicles. And I was like, sweet. And I remember, like, being all nervous talking to my wife about it because I'm like, these are like OGs, man. These are like original gangsters who play this game. And I'm like this poser coming along. And I've told <laughs> her, I'm like, I'm afraid I'm going to show up and just they're going to be like who's this guy, you know, like I'm not going to live up to to how the pedestal I put these folks up, but I ended up going there, playing with these guys, and holy shit, and and I think there's been a friendship since then, so without further ado, I'd like to introduce Brendan, host of Full Metal RPG, how's it going, Brendan? It's
1: going great, buddy, how you been?
0: Good, good, good. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Brendan, not to put you on the spotlight there with that awkward story, but Oh, no, dude,
1: that's a great story, because I had... I had this memory that you had said that you listened to the podcast before you met us, but I like I was like, did I just make that up in my head? And it's great to have it on tape now. Now it's on tape. It's part of the record. Now we know I'm not just crazy. Um, (laughs) No, that's great. I'm really happy. I'm happy that we met you. I think we had just such a good time playing. Uh, You were instrumental to a great Giovanni game. Uh, That Giovanni game lives on in my mind and heart as like a really great game, and I fucking fucking love playing it. Um, I guess about me, I don't know. I got started gaming long fucking time ago before it was like this, like cool thing to do. Uh, when I, I, it made me like a complete nerd in high school to be the guy who was carrying around these fucking weird books in my backpack. And, um, I've always kind of like lived in between two worlds. Like on one hand, I relate really well to like the, like the cool kid like, music kid scene. but then I'm, I'm always been as nerd scene too. And um, you know, th- that's created some conflicts at times because sometimes the nerd guys don't see me as being fully part of what they're doing and sometimes the music guys don't see me as fully part of what they're doing. And uh, I guess just recently in the last uh, uh, two, three years or so, I've been trying to integrate those two kind of components. Where it's like, I do a, a role playing podcast that I try to have sort of an underground music attitude with, and have um, my co-host on there, Adam Sink, he's the same way. Just like he and I came up goth style together, playing a lot of Vampire the Masquerade. I mean, that's the thing, man. That was that was our jam for the longest fucking time. Was Vampire the Masquerade in a lot of different iterations, and we did a lot of Requiem. We did some of the other some of the other white wolf properties and i'm familiar with those properties but uh lord have i played a lot of vampire the masquerade
0: yeah definitely and you're in your podcast full metal rpg and one thing that i like about it is i one thing i even look for in podcast period is i want to learn something and i want to walk away with knowledge about something that i did not have before while granted i do like listening to podcasts that talk about stuff i already know one thing I do enjoy about the Full Metal RPG is that you guys often talk to creators of smaller RPGs, like independent RPGs, a lot of times. Is that a personal hobby of yours? Because, man, I swear, it's, 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 it seems like every time I listen to a new episode, you talk about a new book you got. Or, you know what I mean? I'm like, yeah, uh, but I've seen a well, book collection, so I can attest that you have a lot. But, yeah.
1: Oh, dude, I'm the same way as you, where, uh, like, when I'm into something, I'm into it. I don't. I have a real hard time with moderation and I like to go down the rabbit holes of thought projects and I like to lurk on eBay. And so I compulsively buy books. I compulsively buy books. Also um, in about 2012, I moved to Los Angeles from my hometown Phoenix, Arizona. I lived in Los Angeles for three and a half, four years. And I was trying to make it in the music industry there. I was really trying to up my music guy, cool guy cred. And so while I was out there, I got really stupid in order to get the money to go out there. I got rid of all my role-playing shit all my role-playing shit, all my miniature war game shit, all of it. And I was like, I don't need it anymore. I'm too cool. I'm killing the role-playing half of me and I'm just going to be the cool music guy now. And, uh, guess what? Newsflash. Uh, first of all, like everything you've heard about how hard it is to make it in LA. That's just the tip of the iceberg. That's just the beginning of your misery. Uh, second of all, and this is the part that was really hard to deal with, is it was like this very kind of lonely, crushing place. I mean, even the friends that you make while you're out there, I mean, they're not like the friends that you make if you come from some fucking small town or even just like a relatively large city, but that doesn't have that kind of cutting edge attitude that LA does. And so I, I spent a lot of time being like lonely as fuck when I was out in LA. And um, at the time, I was dating this girl who was into Instagram and she showed me Instagram. This is when Instagram was new and you went on there and you couldn't find any of your friends. You didn't know anybody on Instagram. So you were just making friends with weirdos who you met there. Right. And I started, I was bored because I didn't have a whole lot of friends and I was lonely as fuck. So I would literally just go to hey on my day off from like work or whatever. I would literally just go down to game stores, dressed all like Gothic metal dude or whatever. And I would just like, Hang out with role players, and they would all just sit there looking at me like, Who is this guy? What is he doing here? You know? (laughs) And um, because of that, I started buying books again. Fifth edition had just come out, started buying books, but I was still clinging to this idea that I was too cool for it. And so I didn't want, I kid you not, dude, I didn't want my music friends to see my role playing books on my Instagram feed. So I started a new instagram feed called uh industrial strength rpg and it was just pictures of role-playing books and me talking about role-playing books right and through the power of instagram and if you want to connect with people in the role-playing world i cannot recommend instagram enough i met instagramers all over the world who are interested in role-playing books people in england people in brazil people on the other side of the united states people in canada and you don't really know where they're from. You just start talking to them. You just start talking about will they'll, they'll comment on a picture of a book and they'll start talking about their feelings about it. And um, it was on, on some level, there was a, there was a time, there was a very short period of time where it was kind of like my friendship group. I was just kind of carrying around in my pocket uh, while I was on the bus or while I was on the train talking about role-playing games on Instagram. And when it came time to launch the podcast, it was the first, the first name for the podcast before we ever released an episode was industrial strength RPG. And then I was kind of thinking, I was like, does that, is anybody going to know what the fuck that means? And cause it was like a play on the concept of like, either like a high powered cleaner or industrial music. Right. And I was like, mm-hmm. nobody's going to know what the fuck that means. So I was like, let's just call it full metal RPG. Does that sound better? And, um, at the time, my co-host Ben was like, "Yeah, that sounds better." And, and to this day, that's the Instagram. So you can go on Instagram, and, and what I guess I'm trying to get around to is that's where I meet all these creators. That's where I meet people who are out there, new creating new RPGs. Meet them on Instagram. Follow the hashtags. Follow their work, and then I just have conversations with them. And I'll be like, "Hey, what are you doing? What are you up to?" And uh, when I see that they are getting ready to release something. I'll be like, "Yo, sh- send it to me first, and let me look at it, and then we'll do a little show about it. Maybe you can come on or whatever, and um, we'll just link all that shit to your Kickstarter, you know. And uh, it's, it, I think it's worked out well for a couple people, you know. It's, it's been all right.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you yourself now, right, are working on a project of your own. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that and how that's coming along? Hmm.
1: All right. Well, that's it's that's a storied that's a storied thing. Like, okay, so um. As I said, my buddy Adam and I, we, uh, we are just old, 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 old school vampire players. And we love vampire. I mean, you cut us and we believe vampire. But in the 1990s, I remember I had this idea that, like, you couldn't do any better than Vampire the Masquerade. I was like, Vampire the Masquerade has said everything that there is to say about vampire role playing. It is the ultimate game, right? And I believed that for a long time into the 2000s i would like i would i would sit there and i'd be like it would be nutty to even try and write a new game that would even deal with 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 with, with vampires and so for a long time it was my big goal in life to become a white wolf writer and to be assigned to the masquerade property and then those fuckers went and canceled the game and when they canceled the game they released after it requiem right and Requiem, at first I was like, I don't know why you would even make a game called Requiem, because how could it be better than Vampire the Masquerade? And then when I started reading it, I was like, you know what, this is actually a better game. You know, And I played it a few times, and I was like, I was like there, as much as there was stuff about Masquerade that I love now and I will always love, Requiem was a better game. And so those guys actually proved to me that the book hadn't yet been written on vampire role-playing. And that really should have should have, even at that time, gotten the wheels turning in my head that no there is stuff beyond white wolf still it took 10 years after after Requiem had come out before I was really getting immersed in the OSR scene, the old school renaissance where there was already this group of fantasy role players who were essentially te- attempting to sort of reappropriate control of fantasy role playing into themselves by doing podcasts, by doing blogs, by doing fanzines, and by doing a lot of self-publishing, and and the technology of um, drive-through RPG, the accessibility of like say uh, Adobe Suite, um, the accessibility of like high-powered computers has really changed things from a point when I started playing the game in the early 1990s, when it just seemed like unless you were a major publisher. You weren't going to have a voice in role playing. Now anybody who can get to a computer and have the discipline and focus to execute their idea can get it out there to an audience, and who can who can find an audience, however narrow that audience may be. So I was hanging out with Justin Royce, uh and we were talking about role playing, and I was just realizing that this that. Because he's he, he was new to role playing when he kind of when he started writing his his kind of uh, dark fantasy opus um, beneath the inverted church and beneath the spire and the sound and I realized that he by coming to the to role playing fresh he didn't have this idea that I kind of grew up with in the late eighties and early nineties which was that the major publishers owned the idea of role playing and to participate the idea in the idea of role playing, I had to pay them money. He had come to it at this newly egalitarian point and he just saw it as a place where he could work his creativity and he didn't have to bend a knee to anybody. And I was so inspired by that. I started thinking, well, well, what if I did something like that? And the first thing I thought was, oh, I could do a little fantasy game. I could do an OSR fantasy game. And it could be kind of, I could do a campaign setting for Lamentations of the Flame Princess, which is like my favorite OSR game. And then I was like, well, hang on. Is that really what you want to do? Or wouldn't you like to write a vampire game? And then I fucking realized... Why don't you just fucking write a vampire game, dog? So I sat down and I I started writing one. And let me tell you, the first thing that happened was it was amazing and so easy. And I was crushing out words so hard and so fast. And I was like, all right, guys, November, we're going to be doing full-on beta testing. March, we're going to be doing Kickstarters. And, let me, and, and, and I, at this point, I'm like a student of Kickstarter. I've done a million Kickstarters. I've, like, funded them, you know? And I know. <laughs> I know what happens when those Kickstarters run aground, right? When those guys are real high on the writing and they... And then they're like, oh, the game's almost finished, just do the Kickstarter, give me a bunch of money, and then like two years later, you get your game. <laughs> so I'm real glad I didn't launch my Kickstarter when I was feeling high and powerful, because um, because then I started playtesting it, and I was just like, fuck this, I gotta completely rewrite this thing, man. And so uh, since December, the work on my game, which is called Ravenous, has really slowed, and I've been... I took all the work that, had, that was... Let me tell you, dude. Let me tell you. That game was this close to being done. This close. It had, like, maybe... I had to write maybe 30, 40 more pages. And it was ready to go. And that game, which is essentially a a, a vampire... A game about vampires that... Uh, runs on the Powered by the Apocalypse engine, that game still exists in my file folder somewhere, and to be totally honest, it works. It works. I've play-tested it. You can sit down at the table, you can play-test this game. Now, is it the game that I want to release? And I don't think that it is. I think that in order to say what it is I want to say about the process of role-playing as a character that is also a vampire, I need to do some more work. And so the work went from being like way up here, this huge pile, stacks and stacks of pages, all the way down to here. And then every time I build it up, it kind of gets burnt down a little bit and build it up a little bit and burnt it down a little bit. And so right now, uh, this week, I am started writing, I think, what is probably the fourth iteration of it. Um, working on a new character sheet because I'm trying to reverse engineer it from character sheet out where the most important things I think are the most important aspects of role-playing a vampire character are the fundamental character sheet level in your face. And then we're going to build out, build the systems out. And then that's going to be the game. So I really appreciate like the enthusiasm that my internet family, that my like, instagram family that my fmrpg family have like had for the project i get a lot of people who write in about it on the regular and they're like yeah we're looking forward to it you know stay strong keep writing i really appreciate that and i feel bad that it's taken so long for this game to come out (laughs) at least i didn't accept any money for it though oh holy shit
0: there's no reason to feel bad And, and and from you know what I know about you, there's times where you you burn hot, you know what I mean? And that's going to come around here sure. soon, and you'll be knocking it out. So take your time. I mean, no uh, no one is going to lose sleep, you know what I mean? We would much rather have something that you're proud of than something that you're kind of going to be uh, hesitant about. Because I, from talking to you on the side before, and, we, and Brendan and I talk a lot, and I get like – Brendan's like my RPG Yoda, where I'll like, you know, I'm not saying I'm Luke Skywalker, but I'll sit there and I'm one of those little annoying kids that are in like one of the horrible first. Not ones. even.
1: No, no, no. Even. I
0: I know that you take pride in what you do, and like a lot of us who are involved in creating content to one form or another in this scene, uh, we are our hardest critics. You know what I mean? And so I much rather have not only for my selfish reasons, but for your reasons, have something that you are 100% comfortable with and proud of and release that. So take your time, brother. We're all going to be here uh, eagerly awaiting that, and I, uh, and I really appreciate that. So, um, right on. Thank you. No worries, man. No worries. So we're going to take our first break, and then we're going to jump in and talk about our topic for, the, for, the, for this episode is we're going to be talking about how to incorporate horror themes and tones and just really – ways that you could bring that forth into your game. So please stay tuned. Hello, folks.
2: Have you ever wished you could have an easy way to find gameplay videos and podcasts, or just media in general that deals with your favorite white wolf role-playing games? Or have you ever wished you could find a forum to share gameplay that you have recorded, one which wouldn't be drowned out by random posts and discussion so that your media could get the attention you want? Well, we have the answer for you in a Facebook group we run called Wade Wolf RPGs Gameplay and Media. The group is specifically ran with the sole intent of it being a one-stop shop for people to view or share media involving the games we all love. We take thorough steps to ensure the page does not become cluttered and is easy to traverse. We are currently over 1,000 members strong, And we are continuing to rapidly grow with new media being shared every day.
0: Stop on by.
2: We hope to see you there.
0: All right. Welcome back. Thank you, everyone. So, uh, yeah. One thing that I absolutely love about the world of darkness is the horror element. Uh, One thing that that really pulled me into Brendan's podcast and as a friend and sitting and talking with him, is his love for the horror genre and incorporating that into role-playing games. You know, when I was, there came this moment in my history uh when there was about two years back from like 1999 to like 2001, 2002. So maybe like two and a half, three years where I ran vampire, the masquerade. And when I first got my hand on vampire, the masquerade, I didn't really understand the setting. You know, I didn't understand struggles with the beast humanity system uh all that because i had played in a dark ages game that someone had ran that I played in for like three or four months and it was a lot of like you know riding around on horses questing stuff like that but just with vampires right so <laughs> i ran this yeah i know i was deployed in bosnia of all places and i had all these like fellow soldiers there was like six of them who had never played a tabletop role-playing game and i never ran one and at this time the matrix was the jam everyone loved the fucking matrix man you know and so of course my game had a lot of leather gunfights had like i was just like i remember it was so corny had like billy the kid as like a sheriff in san francisco and it was just like anything i want i was just like giving out xp like oprah you want xp you want xp everyone and i was just like (laughs) banging the system against the wall because i wanted to learn everything that it was capable of doing so this was uh, you know, Amazon was just first starting to become a thing then. I was ordering a lot of books on Amazon. And I remember and I was just like ingesting these books. I was either playing the game, working out, and I was doing what's called a quick reaction force where I was sitting for like 12 hours on a black hawk waiting to get called up if something ever happened when they're trying to get war criminals and reading vampire books. And my friends thought it was weird. I'd be sitting on a black of back of a black hawk that, that was grounded with a flashlight reading a book. I'm like, what the fuck's that shit you're reading? So, anyways. I remember this distinct moment. I'm reading ghouls fatal addiction and I am in this like little bee hut, which is like these little rooms you stay in on this uncomfortable cot. And I read, uh, I mean, first of all, ghouls fatal addiction is probably one of my favorite vampire, the masquerade books. And the reason I like ghouls fatal addiction a lot, because I feel that it takes something that people take for granted, like on a dot on their character sheet and, and really, not only brings life to it, but shows you that you don't, you maybe don't want to have a ghoul or a bunch of ghouls because they're they could potentially be more of a hindrance than anything else. And there's a lot of scenes in that book that really like were gut punches. One is the dog trainer template at the end. I'm not going to get into it, and I'm sure you remember that, Brendan. But there's a uh a, where they're where they're talking about the Shemizi revenant guard, um the dog um breeder female, and then there was like I remember there was one distinct line though where they're kind of implied that like Jeffrey Dahmer may have been. An unknowingly ghoul uh, on someone who was ghouled unknowingly and whose dominator died and was trying to find something to like i was like oh wow i just remember like holy shit like like reading that and then like then i started picking up like this game isn't about i mean you can run the game any way you want but to me it's not supposed to be john woo jumping sideways shooting guns while there's doves flying in the back this is supposed to be like a really dark intricate game and i end up creating twin cities by night what I what what I run now but I ran it back then and I was like inspired by like Eyes Wide Shut and like Ninth Gate and 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 I mean and all these different these different genres and I think that's what really makes the world of darkness special. Now fast forward many years after that and I'm playing in Brendan's Giovanni Chronicles game and I'll tell you what of all games that and I i don't have a vast history of playing in games I've played in a couple I just remember that game having me so mentally exhausted. I was driving home from your house and I was just like, oh my God, because of like the horror element and the suspense that you brought in. Uh, So that guess kind of leads to my, my, my first point here. I guess my first question to you is, do you feel that, like how important do you think that horror is in the different world of darkness games, you know, Chronicles of Darkness games, Old World of Darkness games, whatever. How important of a factor do you think it is to have that in your games?
1: Well, I mean, I think you've already hit on the point which is that it's going to be different depending on who's playing and the experience that you had was very similar to mine these games the world of darkness ones especially the ones that came out in the 1990s are an extreme product of their time and to be totally honest you can read through all of that stuff and miss the fact that it's a horror game you could like exactly what you were saying, which is that the you can run that game where the central driving force of what's happening isn't about vampires and it isn't about horror, it's about being knights who are fighting or it's about being in goth clubs or it's about being in cool gun battles and I think that a lot of people and you hear this a lot on the internet, people talk about um vampire as being like a superhero role-playing game because people get so caught up in the discipline powers and the builds and the weird factions, this kind of like Magneto versus X-Men kind of like feel between the Camarilla and the Sabbat. And that, um, and, and, and on some level while I think that the developers probably would sit there and say to you, Oh, well, we didn't intend for it to be like that. The fact is, is that's how those books are written. And when you get to the third edition, the, uh, the revised edition, they play into that very heavily. They seem to be kind of like taking that aspect of it and, and dialing it all the way up to 11. And so the, the game that a lot of people say that it is versus the game that you actually read, there's two different games in there, at least, at least. So every storyteller when they sit down to run Vampire they have to make a decision before they do character creation, before they invite their friends over, before they even fucking start writing their first notes on a legal pad, you got to make a decision as to what this game is, you know? And you need to write down not just not just write horror or action, but I would suggest writing down a whole page where you get into what it is you're trying to do with this particular game, because it's very vast. Now you could write down something like: this is gonna be a gritty street level horror that's reminiscent of The Wire, but that has like some Candyman elements in it, and that's gonna be really visceral and um, but modern, it's gonna be super modern. Or you could write, you know what? This is like that fucking Underworld movie that takes place in the Middle Ages. It's basically just an action movie with castles. You know, whatever. I don't give a fuck. And you can write either one of those games. And while it's not my judgment to come here and say, like, oh, this one's vampire and this one's not, or this one's good and this one's bad, the game I prefer is the horror game. Because I did so many years of the kind of, like, 90s cool guys hanging out in nightclubs with their black leather jackets wearing their sunglasses inside and then and then the Sabbath arrives and they like whip out and they pull out their two guns and they like jump jump over the bar and i did i did all that shit i did all that shit
0: you know one thing that i think that and i'm 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 with you you know what i mean there's it's not my place or, or anyone's place to say how someone should run a game you do you guys do you you know what i mean Right. You do whatever game makes you happy. But I, th- and I want to touch upon a couple of things that you said. One, totally agree. Revised edition pushed. I think what happened with revised edition, and I mind you, when I was into revised edition, I didn't know how to get on the internet. I was a knuckle dragger, you know, so I didn't know what was going on behind the scenes. I would see a new book at Barnes and Nobles or B. Dalton. You remember those? B. Okay. Dalton and, and scoop it up and then read it. I, I didn't know like anything about behind the scenes shit. But now, in retrospect, that I've gone back and collected them again and I've read through them, seems to me like this is what happened with Revised. It seems like they knew they were pushing this Gehenna plot, right? And they're trying to push this Gehenna plot, Gehenna plot. And I think it went too far. And I think towards the end, they were trying to like run, reel it in a little bit. Like, if you read, like, the Storyteller's Guide or the Player's Guide, the Revised ones, they're really trying to, like, you know what I mean? Like, they even have a joke in one of them about the guy walking in the leasing with a trench coat and everyone laughing at him, you know what I mean? But it's like... They, the Transylvania Chronicles four already happened at that point. You know what I mean? A yeah. nuke on a fucking train already happened. Dude. So, you just, yeah, you can't reel it back. But yeah. again,
1: and that's and that was a real problem with those books in particular. Is they 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 in in the storyteller's guide they had this whole chapter about like how to reel in the power mad gamer who wants uh, silver tipped bullets and silver edge katanas and they and they were so self aware that they were making fun of the guy walks into the Elysium with a leather trench coat. They were, they, so they understood that that's who they were, but then they were like making fun of you for doing it. As though like, Oh, it's a, you didn't get the joke. You didn't get the game which that we wrote. Pretentious.
0: Yeah. Totally it's pretentious,
1: pretentious as fuck because they're mm-hmm. the ones who, who fucking like took all of our mm-hmm. money while they were selling us again, Transylvania four, which is the most egregious of those books. It's so it's, I mean, it's, like like when you talk about there there are some gonzo out there world of darkness books there's some gonzo ones with like fucking like like were bears riding motorcycles and shit i mean there's that's all out there but transylvania 4 is one of the worst ones that one in time of the thin blood where there's like a there's like a uh giant like satellite in space that unfolds mirrors weak, so they
0: can week weak and nightmares the weekend nightmares. Weak and what, nightmares what what pissed what pissed me off about that it took like a generally cool concept minus the whole like gehenna shit but like like vampire blood being so weak and then tacked on yeah. this big like mages and, and kaijin and whatever fighting yeah. and it was just like whoa <laughs>
1: And they stole that fucking uh, goddamn mirror in space thing from fucking that shitty Batman movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger in it. The one with yeah. all the puns, you know? Yeah. And it's, just like, it's just like, so they were definitely kind of like winking at us while also giving a shit for being in on it. Anyway, I choose to accentuate the horror aspect of, of role-playing in the world of darkness and in Chronicles of Darkness... Um and now when you're doing this with a World of Darkness game, you're doing like Blade said said man, you're ice skating uphill because as I have just previously mentioned, the material is working against you. Um, what I love about the Chronicles of Darkness line, formerly known as the New World of Darkness, is that that material is much more in line with actually making the game about horror. They they at that point when they had kind of like. Gone back to the drawing table and they were like, this is what we're going to fucking do. We're going to make a horror game. It's not going to be a a stylish game about hanging out in clubs. It's not going to be an action-oriented game. It's going to be about experiencing horror. And that game, you run it straight out of the book. Straight out of the book. No messing with it needed. It you can run a very scary game, and I suggest running it with low lights and with candles and with like a little bit of mood music, and you can get to the point where you're all sitting at the table like jumping at the sharp noises in the background because it's it can be very very scary. And I think that on some level, I well no, that's actually not true. I ran some scary as fuck World of Darkness games before Chronicles of Darkness came out, but 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 again, you gotta you gotta work it. You gotta work that earth.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, one thing I want to go back to too is um, you you bring up a very valid point about like the how they the old world of darkness kind of set this tone and then kind of try to like you know what I mean Mm -hmm. be uh one end about it. But I think what a common thing happens too is that you know we all know what the biggest you know tabletop role playing game has been for like ever, Dungeons and Dragons, right? And uh totally awesome setting obviously doing something right it's fucking huge and does great and you know people from ta- other tabletop role-playing games I'm sure are going to come across you know world of darkness you know games right and that that happens to a lot of people and and that's totally cool sometimes i think though that um and there's a story behind this and i mentioned to you this on the side something that happened to me kind of last couple weeks but i think sometimes people aren't really um don't really know what they're walking into sometimes. You know what I mean? Like they'll watch something like Blade or hear someone describe it and yeah. then they'll come across a game that really taps into the horror and it just kind of is a little alien to them. And what I'm talking about um there was recently I myself uh kind of was was uh, joined this really cool concept of a group, I'll just say, where it was almost like a secret Santa, where your podcast would get assigned to someone else who had a tabletop role playing podcast, and then you would listen to it and you would give constructive criticisms and leave and leave reviews and so on and so forth. And so, and I've learned a lot of lessons from this in hindsight. But I put mine in there, I put our Twin Cities by Night first episode in there, mind you, this happened two years ago. But I'm like, hey, I want you know, compare it now to our stuff, like audio wise. You know, it may, um, I went through and re edited it or whatever, but I put it in there. First week went great. Someone watched it and they're like, you know, the the review was really awesome. And they're like, oh, it's like, you know, they're looking into this murder. And I, you know, I want to keep listening to find out how it ends. Dah, 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 dah. Second review, not so great. And it wasn't more because of like, uh, I, I don't know. I, I think more, it was mostly because they weren't, they didn't know what they were walking into. Right. And there's a point to all this that I'm going to get to. You know, the person was like, first thing, be aware of body horror guy describes these murder this murder scene now I, I i did that as an element of horror because i already explained to my players what type of game it was i gave them warning like this is gonna be a this is gonna be a, a a really depressing somber you know what i mean game that's going to you know it's not going to be sugar-coated you know what i'm saying it's not going to be a lot of action it's going to be kind of a story-driven horror one and they knew what they're going into so when i Describe to these people who live these secluded lives the first time, A, they ever see a, you know, I don't know, they see a murder victim. You know what I mean? I wasn't getting tasteless with it. Wasn't getting anything like that. But I wanted it to be a serious situation, you know, not just like, oh, dead body, fine. And this person wasn't happy with it. And then the person didn't like the fact that the characters he felt weren't good people. These aren't evil people. This is the Camarilla game. You know what I mean? But these are realistic people. One is greedy. You know what I mean? The other one doesn't care about other people. You know? The other one is just... Who says, who says
1: Camarilla characters can't be evil?
0: Exactly. I mean, absolutely,
1: Absolutely, they can be evil. Like, this idea that the Camarilla is not an evil organization is, yeah. I think, fundamentally flawed. It, it feeds into this whole idea that the Camarilla are the good guys. They're not yep. good. They're both... Exactly. They're, 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 they're a bunch of assholes who, who have developed a very sophisticated way of hiding the fact that they're blood-sucking parasites <laughs> from the human beings that would attempts to, like, exterminate them. Exactly. You
0: know exactly. A hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. So I at first – not going to lie. I, I take pride in what I do. I'm a very passionate person. I don't re- argue with people online, so I didn't – and I didn't even, like, know how to contact the person. But I pulled our stuff out of this review group because I realized – a lot of people probably aren't going to understand the world of darkness and the horror if they've never played in it. But I'm sitting there thinking, and I'm like, A, I feel like I accomplished a mission. You know what I mean? Like, I like, (laughs) like, if someone watches, like, oh, man, that scared me. And I didn't, like, that's good, because that's what I wanted to happen. But B, I've really thought about it. And I'm like, I think sometimes people play Vampire the Masquerade, and choose to ignore the horror elements, because it's, Hard for them to accept the horror elements, and they want to focus on the other things. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's to- totally nothing wrong with that. But I'm thinking to myself, there's a lot of, I'm sure, D D players or or um, Shadowrun players or other players who come across this game, but they're just not quite comfortable with where the horror can go in there. You know? Well,
1: let me let me let me uh, interject real quick. The and I this this is this is not the first podcast I've done to like lay down my thoughts on horror. I kind of it's kind of. Become my thing. It's kind of become like my wheelhouse. I'm happy that people want to hear what I have to say about horror. I, I have kind of inadvertently dedicated. So I'm glad that I have something to say about. People find valuable. But I'll, what I'll say here is what I say to everyone, and that you have to remember what the very first definition of the word horror is. Right? Horror doesn't mean scary. Right? It means like revolting. It means like it's 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 the it's the experience of being exposed to something and recoiling from it, right? And that experience is completely contrary to what is going on in ninety percent of other role playing, okay? Because <clears throat> the fundamental idea behind a D and D style fantasy game is a power fantasy. It's based on constantly getting better and then like conquering and defeating things that are dangerous, right? It's a, it's a, it's a narrative of evolution, right? But horror is the opposite. Okay. It's the opposite story. It's the actual, the inverse story. It is a story of powerlessness and danger and when you combine into it the humanity mechanics and the degeneration mechanics of, of most World of Darkness games, it isn't a story of evolution, it's of a, it's a degeneration, right? So yeah. when you're really experiencing a world of darkness game in the in the in the fullest sense that the rules set creates for you and that the context of the game lays out for you, what you should be experiencing is a sense of being. Off balance, in danger, powerless, and being forced to do things that compromise who you are and don't make you better at all. They make you worse. They make you worse as a person.
0: I love that. Amen. I absolutely fucking love that because, you know, we just wrapped up on our channel, our uh, Sabat game war is on fire we still have an epilogue but we had the final session uh last week i think it was or maybe the week before and it was funny because originally when i thought of the idea of running this game it was only honestly going to be like i thought three or four sessions it was just going to be like do you guys want to fight shit we can fight shit you know what i mean it was just going to be like a thing to let me recuperate from my camarilla game and just kind of like have fun and this game ended up being the longest running game i've ran like 10 sessions well i mean we'll have an epilogue but 10 sessions and the story that i originally thought ended up only being a quarter of it and i added this whole different element to the story and i remember when i first started running the game i was just joshing with the players you know just like fucking around with them like you know hey you guys might die you might we might we have backup characters you know because i was just had this combat mentality and the game went from we're not worried about dying to we're worried about with sale you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We're worried about – and you, and we're, we're yeah. feeling powerless. And we're picking up like – you know, every time someone had a roll of conscience roll, it wasn't like, oh, fuck you. Yeah, I fucked shit up. It's like, oh, shit. You know what I mean? I got yeah. a roll of conscience. Difficulty eight. Fuck, I botched. I lost to humanity. I have a fucking degeneration. I have a um <clears throat> a, a, a derangement. And I'm only like maybe half through the story. I still haven't reached right. my goal. Am I going right. to like – and you see this like – this horror come over him. And soon it became like, fuck, dying. I'm more worried about that. I'm, like, going to lose myself to the beast. and, and But mm-hmm. then you're forced to live this lifestyle as a pack. And you're supposed to, you know, do the Valdry, which you're tied to. And it just became like, I was like, holy shit. And it felt so good. Not that we didn't touch upon it in our Camarilla game, but it really felt so good that this game, which is a horror game, was about evolution. And you well- saw these Go ahead.
1: That's that's the meat of a vampire game, right there. You see, I think that when Vampire originally wrote in the concept of the Methuselahs and the Antediluvians and things like that, uh, elder vampires, they were supposed to be these kind of shadowy figures that were in the background. And if you read the if you read the older books, you taught there's a lot of uh, talk about like shadowy, unseen conspiracies that are pulling the strings and making you do stuff that you don't want to do. And I think that the game was designed because it, it, your, your character does start out very powerful in a vampire game. You are very powerful in the context of the world compared to the mortals around you. And the question is, is what are you going to do with that as a GM are you going to accentuate that power and turn the game into a narrative about the accumulation of more power, the uh, um, kind of like scaling of hierarchies, the building of fiefdoms, this kind of almost like, um, like Uberman story of personal conquest? Or do you reframe that power and say, oh, yeah, so you are much more powerful than the human beings around you and you can suck their blood and all that stuff? But you are actually now, within the context of the new society that you live in, the least powerful thing that there is. And in fact, there's these monsters, and you're in the ocean with them. They're like giant Leviathan-like whales that cast these huge shadows as they move by slowly. And you're in their fucking tailwind. And you need to move slowly and not capture their attention. And even if you think you're doing that, There's a possibility that they are like reaching out across time and space and plucking you like strings on a violin to make you do things that you don't think that you're doing. That's the, that's the horror of vampire. Even when you are playing into things like clan and discipline sect, that horror should be felt there. A lot of people miss that story.
0: Yeah, definitely. So when you're, what kind of advice can you give someone, you know, like someone has a group, they finally got together to play vampire. Right. And they want to tap in and tell somewhat of a horror story. What advice would you give that person who's about to run that game to really set the tone and theme of horror at the table while they're playing? And no, I, I ask you this because I've witnessed you do it firsthand and I thought it was successful. So go ahead.
1: Okay. Pardon me while I go off. Cause there's a lot. There's a lot that I think get overlooked. Uh, the first thing is you have to communicate to your players early on what kind of game this is going to be. All right, this is going to be a horror game, uh, and it's going to deal. And you're going to tell them kind of like on some level, like this listener who heard your podcast. I don't know. It's been a while since I listened to your podcast. I don't know if, or your actual play, rather. I haven't listened recently, so I don't know if you have a disclaimer on the front. Um, but there, a disclaimer should be for the for the uh, for the players as well as for listeners. So they know what they're getting themselves into. Sometimes you get these guys, they don't want to play a slow burn horror game. They want to play fucking John who guns and stuff. And that's cool. There's someone else in your their city who is running that game. And, uh, and I hope that they find that table. That's cool. But for my games, I'm going to need a certain kind of person who's looking for a certain kind of experience. And there, and I'm, and uh, part of that is going to be that I'm going to be doing, graphic descriptions, I'm going to be setting up scary situations, and, right, so so if so let's say that they get that with the, 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 the premise of the game is going to be this kind of horror. A lot of people will agree to that, but then where you see where the rubber hits the road is you attempt to put a rule set that accentuates that. For instance, I will usually say something like, we aren't going to use the discipline experience table from masquerade it's too easy to get experience points and to then buy up your dots we're going to use the one from requiem it's a harder curve so you have to it's harder to get experience points and then it costs more to spend them and immediately you'll see the wind go out of the sails of the guy who was going to be like oh well, i need to combo potents and Obtenebration, and Protean, and it's going to turn me into a big monster, and then I'm just going to kill everybody, that person will start losing interest immediately. Immediately. The guys who are there to play the horror game, you know, keep their attention, because they were never there to collect Discipline Dots. But the guy who's there to collect Discipline Dots is not going to be helping you with the horror scenario. Okay? Um, And on some level, that's one of my biggest beefs with the the way that the World of Darkness, especially Vampire, is written. There's no system built into the book that allows you to take away discipline dots. In order to do that, you have to do that through storyteller fiat. You have to say, oh, you've encountered some Methuselah who drains your blood, and you also lose all those shitty disciplines that have been, like, fucking bothering me for the last 16 sessions. And then... The player gets upset. He's like, you're taking it away from me. I spent experience on that. Do I get my experience back? What do I get? Then you got a bunch of feel badsies and you don't want to have feel badsies. So one of the things I have experienced over decades of running Vampire the Masquerade is that the more disciplines they have, the less horror they feel. Because that the disciplines plus generation means that they become more powerful. And the more powerful they become, then the harder it is to make them feel not in power, right? If I had a piece of advice, it would be to, to everybody on this podcast, it would be to go to Netflix and put on this movie that just came out. It's a, um, an adaptation of an Adam Neville book. It's called The Ritual, okay? It's 94 minutes. It's a solid horror movie, okay? And what's great about it is you watch it, And it's got a bunch of recognizable horror tropes. And the pacing of it is very standard. But the first 45 minutes to an hour of this movie is very scary. It's very scary if you let yourself get into it. All right? Um, And you watch, watch what happens to those characters. They are not good people. They quibble and bicker with each other a lot, which I think a good a good set of vampire characters should do. They should have reasons as a GM, as a storyteller. It's your, it's your job to give those guys reasons to bicker with each other when they're standing at a crossroads. And one of them says, we go that way. And the other one says, we go that way, give them reasons to bicker. All right. Um, and then over the course of the movie, Just beat after beat after beat. They keep losing resources. No one ever gets any better at anything in that movie. They just keep losing resources until they are at a point where it's like it's either there has to be catharsis or death. One of the two catharsis or death, right? And at that point, you have the climax of the movie. And on some level, the climax of the movie is kind of like in a lot of horror movies when you get to the climax and the thing happens that you kind of knew was going to happen, because it's a horror movie and they're all kind of the same in a certain way. At that point, the movie's not that scary anymore, but it's still a very, very good movie. And you can learn a lot as a horror GM by watching movies like that, that are very tight and just, and, 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 and they're short, they're tight, they're to the point and just watch it. What is happening here? Like why, why are they getting on each other's nerves? What has the storyteller taken away from the characters to keep them off balance and to make them feel imperiled? You know, your friend who is playing in the game and who maybe you've played with for years and years, but he's like obsessed with the idea of like, Oh, I'm going to be a Lysandra pirate who has like Optin Operation six and who has a whole fucking pirate ship with a zombie crew and, and his, and his beautiful, sexy La child who he hand plucked from the ranks of the Moroccan women and you know and he's holding her on the, on the on the on the on the stern or whatever it's like it's like it's like that's a power fantasy and that's fine and I'm not shitting on you for playing that but like say that that's the character in your game what are you going to do to make that guy feel like he's not in power and he's not and he's not in control and he's imperiled there are ways to do it but if the that player came in there to have that experience of being like a badass LaSombre pirate and then you suddenly make him feel like he's in danger and that everything that he's built is like is in jeopardy, he might actually be angry at you for for taking away all of his stuff. You know? So you have to have the right players who are down for this experience. Does that make any sense?
0: Oh yeah, it totally makes sense because to be honest with you, that is you know, I would like to think and I've been told this, but I would like, I, and I know our group and I agree that we find that our games that we have on our actual plays, for the most part, or at least games that I run, are based in horror. You know what I mean? I prefer to run horror stories. For example, you mentioned that great line of games are, 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 that are great for horror stories are the Chronicles of Darkness games, you know? We currently have a Changeling Lost 2nd Edition game, which I love, but my favorite game I've ever ran was a mortal chronicles of darkness game Mm -hmm. i think nothing really makes something more scarier than when you're just a power like you said a powerless fucking person in a situation where you are just a fucking uh you're you're literally just a pebble in the sandstorm dude Mm -hmm. and it's like i felt in that game and first of all the players were sold on it they they knew they're getting into a horror game and they're playing a mortal that game I feel that I was successful in that game because I built real relationships with these people and like just their neighbor, their mother. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I introduced something alien. So every and these players loved it. Every time that something abnormal came, it was like, oh hey, look at that. Oh hey, you know, it was like, oh right. fuck. And then like that rock being thrown in that lake of the story just sent ripples to where these players then changed their characters. To, like, how that affected him. And it wasn't forgotten the next session. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, you know, you start getting players hit you up. Like, you know, I really think I want to – like, for example, one of the players in that game is a recovering heroin addict. And the player who plays him is already talking about in the second arc. He's like, I think I might – having where he relapses due to what he witnessed, you know, or one guy who had a really overbearing Christian dad, who was like a stoner, Ozzy Osbourne listening to, who had a mustache. Cause the game takes place in 1987 is like, I think my guy's going to have like a coming to Jesus moment and kind of like start becoming like his father. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, it's like really rad. And then you're like, Oh yes, I love it. And that's to me, horror, which leads yeah. to my final question for you. You have tons of experience in this. I've heard you talk about stories in your podcast about different games you've ran have you ever seen like been involved in a game, either storyteller or played in a game where you feel the, that just everything clicked to tell like a horror story that made you happy, like that you reminisce and you think about and retrospect and you're like, Oh man, I really loved how that went. Cause I don't know people don't know, but Brendan loves the horror genre. If not more than I, you know what I mean? <laughs> I, uh, I,
1: I doubt that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But he, he loves it a lot. So to, 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 to hear him give an example to me, would be a perfect you know paceman to how i would like to what i would like to aim for in my stories and stuff
1: well okay so there's this like um in the world of like art and like creativity there's this uh kind of stereotype that in recent years now that the world is trying to heal itself and get away from the idea of like hard men and like just the, the, the darkness that a person has to like go through in order to do anything. We're trying to make a world that's like more open and accepting of everybody. And I believe in those things. I believe in those things. Um, but for a long time, it has been this kind of accepted maxim that if you want to, um, if you want to write, if you want to draw, you want to paint, you want to make music, you got to suffer. You got to learn some suffering. Right. And uh, I'll tell you what, the game that I ran that was the scariest ever was when I was just in like, uh, like probably the shittiest lowest moment of my life in a certain way. And I was just going through a lot of angst and I was going through a lot of like, uh, what, what, what a friend of mine calls the self concept, which is like how the, 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 the human mind creates, this is, here's a little, here's some, here's some metaphysics for you listeners. Uh, The human mind creates a a construct in order to deal with the agony of living. Okay. Of existing. Uh, This idea that you are you is, is bullshit. You're not, you're not anything that's, that does, you don't exist. Brendan doesn't exist. Chris doesn't exist. Ben doesn't exist. Adam doesn't exist, but the constructs that we create for ourselves in order to deal with the fact that we exist and the horror that we are going to die someday, those things exist. And that you can call that a self-construct. Some people call that a super ego, right? So my self-construct was under attack. My, myself, my self idea was under attack and it was going through a huge period of shift. It can be very painful. I had a lot of relationship problems going on at that time. There were like some health problems, not for me, but for some people I cared about going on in the background. And I started writing this um, Sabbath game that was about infernalism, right? And it had these, like, huge infernalism um, uh, themes to it. And uh, it was a Sabbath game (laughs) that was about infernalism. And so I was pushing my players to really explore their Sabbath natures. They were doing a great job. And then I was introducing this infernalism theme into it. And because I'm who I am and I can't do anything like anyone else would do it or whatever. I was insisting on having infernalism themes that were what I considered to be realistic, which at the time, it hadn't been that long since those like prophecy movies and stuff had come out, where like, you know, Christopher Walken's an angel, and you can tell he's an angel because he has like a black duster and stuff like that, and he like walks around saying cryptic things and shit like this. And I really wanted to get away from that. I wanted to have what I considered to be like realistic infernal entities. And what that meant was, is that I was pushing as deep as I could into my, at the time into my third eye to create these just like, unbelievably like grotesque creatures that were like fallen angels or, in, you know, infernal entities from an extra dimension and that were fucking with the players and one of the players was a Bali and uh, he was masquerading as a member of the Sabbath and was, um, but was in collusion with this entity. And I'm not going to lie, man. It was, if you listen to my podcast, you'll hear me talk about there was a moment where I pulled the X car on myself. Yeah, where I, I was that. like, <laughs> where I was like, I'm done with this game. And, um, I just, by funneling all of the pathos that was going on in my real actual life into just the most disturbing imagery that I could personally concoct for myself, I found what was, for me at the time, the bottom. And, um, and so I quit that game. I canceled it. We all went on. We did something else. I think I tried to run Transylvania Chronicles after that, and that was an abysmal failure. Never managed to successfully run that series of books. Um... I would say that probably what I consider to be the bottom at that point was if you were looking for the bottom of the sh- of like the ocean floor and you were trying to get down there into the darkness where the fish just have those weird teeth and those strange phosphorescent bulbs and that shit, I probably had just found a shelf, like a sea shelf, and that the bottom was further, and I'm a stronger swimmer now, so I can go deeper than I was then. but um. I've never had a game that I unnerved myself at more. And I think that those themes were connecting with a lot of my players. They were, all, I mean, despite the fact that, that I pulled the plug on that one because it was getting too weird for me. They were still, they were still feeling it at the time. Especially I remember the Bali guy for fuck's sake. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry.
0: No, no. I remember hearing you talk about that. I was wondering if this is that was going to be the one you're going to bring up because I remember distinctly you bringing up the the Bali pit and the conversion. Yeah, yeah. I remember you just hearing your voice talking about it, and I'm not going to ask you to go into in detail or anything, but I just remember your voice, how you retrospectively brought it up, and I could hear in your tone that like you didn't want to touch upon that and that left its mark on you. And that is commendable. I mean, for I mean, to be honest with you and it's almost like, I think, I don't know, just hearing that, hearing that you were like, I need to walk away from this. You know what I mean? Because yeah, infernalism is a, is a theme that I have tried to touch upon in some of my games. And it's a theme where like, this really fine line, man, where it could be cheesy and could be corny and eye rolling or it can be fucking disturbing, like to the point where you're like, I got to sit, sit back. But if you can get that razor's edge mm-hmm. and walk along it, it and get your players to feel, to convey to your players what the horror you're trying to bring out, it can be successful. I find that I, and when I've tackled infernalism, have done like a light version of it. Not a yeah. corny version, but I have done it to where I try to make it impactful, but then I also try to leave a lot of it to the imagination of the players, where like I'll set a, a scene, you know what I mean, and I'll have some stuff in the scene in the background, and then I'll try to have like a oh shit moment. But I've never yeah. taken it to the closest I've taken it to where I'm like, fuck, man, is this gonna bite me in the ass? Is this gonna slap me in the faces by the ending of the Sabat game? Because in the game, mm. the Sabat, the, the pack is they're they're part of the Inquisition or they're mentored by yeah. who's part of the Inquisition. And I wanted to have this scene at the end that really showed them that with them being members of the Inquisition, it's more than just wrecking hell and being a pack. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. that there are things that are darker than them. Because during that Sabbat game, you know, Sabbat's going to Sabbat, man, right? right something right. that, that Sabbat's going to do is going to be fucked up, right? right? But I want to, like, there's a, there's a difference between, between a path of humanity fucked up and just something that's very core in nature that, that, that just shakes, like, the particles you're made of that, by the horror of it. And I'm, I'm going mm-hmm. off on a tangent. But I think infernalism is a really awesome tool to tell horror, but something that like I remember laying in bed, right? I'm literally laying in bed, Brandon, right? That's where I think of like my shit before I'm about to fall asleep. Wife is laying next to me, passed out, and I'm thinking about this final sabbat scene, and I'm like, "Fuck, I can't do that," you know what I mean? And I'm like, "What am I?" (laughs) You know what I mean? And I'm I'm thinking, really, be impactful. So it's awesome to hear that, man, because um, and the way that you articulate that, and and it's and it's great. So. Uh, that that's a perfect way to, to end it off. Um, right and I just on, wanted, yeah, and I just wanted to say before we go into our next segment, uh, real quick, if you guys, we're going to have Brendan's um, contact information in the notes of the podcast and the video. If you guys want to hear more talk like this about gaming, I shit you not, listen to Full Metal RPG. Not only listen to him, but listen to Adam and his other hosts that are on there because these guys, I feel every time that I listen to the, to, to and I'm not trying to, kiss ass here or anything like that but i'm sincere when i say this is that every time that i listen to that podcast i walk away learning something and i, and I would even be i will even say this after playing in the giovanni chronicles with brendan and even talking to him i feel that i try to emulate him in many ways and the way that i now story oh, that's too much man no 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 no, too no, much. no 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 and i'm not and i don't, and i'm not trying to say that but i'm just saying i learned a lot of valuable lessons and a lot of things as a storyteller and i think that's awesome so folks check out his stuff. Um, And we're going to take our next break and we'll be right back.
2: The Los Angeles metropolitan area is constantly growing and changing. The central district is full of new buildings. The Hollywood and Wilshire districts, once far from downtown, now are part of a which spreads past Beverly Hills and out to the ocean. But why is all this going on in Los Angeles? Why is Los Angeles an exploding city?
1: Neon Masquerade
2: The Demon's Mirror
1: 13 candles.
2: Three chronicles running through the undead veins of the City of Angels.
1: The Esoteric Order of Role Players Actual Play Podcast invites you to drink deeply.
2: Go to eorpodcast.com and search the Duets tag to find out more.
0: welcome back everyone so this is where i whore myself out and we start talking about what we're going to be doing <laughs> we're going to be doing on our channel because fuck it i get to do this uh, just so everyone knows so i recently have gone through with and finished re-editing our second story arc of a vampire of the masquerade twin cities by night game called homecoming i redid the first one re uh, and i've redone the second one uh trimmed a lot of like side talk a lot of stuff like that because to be honest when we First, decided to like throw podcast versions of our YouTube videos up. I just ripped the audio of edited YouTube videos and threw them up there. And editing in Windows Movie Maker is a lot more difficult than editing in Audacity, which I use. The, the, the I've I've these with the players, people listen to them. It runs smoother. It runs awesome. We have new intros. I'm really, really, to be honest with you, and I'm, we're always going to do YouTube. I've fallen in love with that podcast version of actual play. I feel like it's we have new listeners now. A lot of you listening now found us because of podcasting. I feel like it is an awesome medium, so I'm really happy about that. I'm in the middle now of – I started editing our Chronicles of Darkness game, the Ultimate Evil, the one that takes place in 1987, Bismarck, North Dakota, deals with like the Satanic Panic. And I find it's a lot easier at this point to edit than those first two vampire arcs because those first two vampire arcs, while we were sharing our stuff, we weren't thinking about that while we were recording. You know, a lot of cross talk, people weren't micing, uh, muting their microphones, stuff like that. But the newer stuff as it goes on, we're more aware of like what we're doing to make it a better experience for you all. So we really appreciate that. So check those out if you want to. Um, if you're a YouTube viewer, check the podcast out anyways. And if you do enjoy them, a review on iTunes or whatever app you use would mean the world. So in our next uh, session, our schedule for this month, uh, on the thirty, on the fourth, we have our Sabat Wars on Fire epilogue, where it's kind of going to kind of be like our character creation sessions that you guys have seen, where it's a lot of back and forth between me and the players. The main focus is going to be about the conversion of the players onto paths. Because a lot of these guys ended up with humanity of two, three, and we really want to make it a really surreal moment. And you've seen a lot of it built up. You know, a lot of these guys have some have chose the path of honorable accord. One has chose path of death and soul, and another has chose the path of metamorphosis. So we really want to make it surreal and spiritual like you saw like a lot of the scenes in wars on fire with like the valdery and stuff like that and also you're going to see the players spend xp what they spent their xp on because we give now at the end of our stories we give the xp out and then whenever the the next story arc takes place that's when we will we'll touch upon that again changeling the lost vanity uh ran by adam is going to be on the 11th fucking love Changing the Lost, Brendan. Holy shit, you want to talk about a horrific game, dude? Changing the Lost is fucking scary. I'm just going to say this right now. I find to be one of the scariest Chronicles of Darkness one world of darkness games ever. I I think it's fucking awesome. I think it's dark and it's and it's. I'm having fun playing in it. And Adam, man, that guy put so much work into it about lo- researching 1993 Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and he has these list of NPCs and um. It's just it's just fucking amazing. Is that uh, the uh,
1: are you doing the second edition one or are you still doing first? Because your second first. edition
0: out. No, they just the Kickstarter is done, but they haven't released it yet or anything. Okay, got, okay. I backed that Kickstarter to be honest with you. I actually jumped on that shit because I love that setting. I and I've only read the core book and just like it's one of those weird games where like I feel like I don't have to read any of the expansions. Now Adam, who runs it, loves the game and he's read all the expansions, and this is the first time he's read it. But like I don't feel like I need to read it because just what's in that core book on its own is more than enough for me to feel vested into it. And then that's that's
1: a strong review. I need to pick that up.
0: Dude, it's a fucking awesome thing. And then uh, on the 18th, we're going to have our episode of The Brian Diaries. Where instead of having a host, we're going to be celebrating our second birthday as a channel. We're going to be trying to get, like, everyone who we have seven player eight total seven include eight including me we're going to have um, try to get everyone who we can that can make it to be on here we're not editing it we're not doing any of this shit we're it's going to be live on youtube you guys can jump on youtube and fucking ask questions or you can get on our discord and ask questions we'll try to answer them basically we're just going to be talking about each of the games that we've played in the last year like the stories and and and, and what we've enjoyed and we're going to drink beer i think i'm going to have some beer and i'm not editing it cuz i'm probably going to be drunk afterwards and i'm and if i don't act a fool uh then uh we'll go ahead and straight post it so and then finally twin cities by night dread comes uh twin cities by night comes back uh on the 25th with the story dread which is going to be the third story arc which i'm really fucking excited for for those of you who don't know dread is all well, Dread's been a word and i'm sure the shit called dread but i personally got inspired to call the story dread by reading the clive barker short story rereading it the Clive Barker short story dread that you can find in one, of the books of blood. I forgot which one, which is about tapping into fear. And for those of you who have listened to twin cities by night, you kind of sense there's just like this momentum of dread, like something bad's going to happen to people as it goes on. And then really how the second arc ended, coming into the third arc you're going to see uh, how that is so we're really excited for that you guys can check out the preludes that we've released with the character creation sessions for the three new characters and then recap by the two characters that are still going to be in there so we're really excited find us on discord we have discord now if you want to go ahead and talk to us we're all on there we're not pretentious we're just shoot the shit and we fucking <laughs> whatever uh, so I don't pretend my shit's high art or anything like that so we hope to see you there other than that my cold brew's wearing off Brendan, I've talked your ear (laughs) off, man, but I got shit to do, so I'll talk to you guys later. Thank you for watching. Please comment, subscribe, like, do whatever, and I'm going to talk to my friend without you guys watching, so I'll talk to you guys later.
2: High-level games, the industry's first choice in taking your games to the next level. We are a podcast blog and new media network at highlevelgames.ca. We have blog posts about all of your favorite games going up five days a week and a podcasting network with actual plays and shows that discuss role-playing games with more rolling out all the time. We are on iTunes, Twitch, and YouTube. Find out more information at highlevelgames.ca, a site that certainly isn't controlled by a shadowy board of directors of otherworldly origin. That's highlevelgames.ca. Please, help. They're coming.
0: Hey! Do you like World of Darkness? Do you want to introduce your friends to it? But there's one problem!
1: Nobody reads books anymore!
0: This presents you with a problem, doesn't it? You want to get your friends into these awesome games, but they don't have the time or wherewithal to read any of them! Well, that's where Brett the Hitman comes in! Bret the Hitman, your one-stop shop on YouTube for all things related to World of Darkness. Currently in the middle of his Werewolf the Apocalypse series, which is showing tremendous growth. It's going to the moon!
2: That's right, watch Brett the Hitman,
1: and you will get style! Flare!
2: Humor (laughs) and of course some dank meme magic. Fucking normies. (laughs) Brett the Hitman on YouTube
0: at youtube.com slash I love other people's misery. So watch now, if only for the dank memes. Tune in today.